Good day. You're tuned into Free City Radio. Uh, thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph. It is Tuesday, the 11th of May, and um, I'm here in Montreal uh, sharing a new weekly podcast with you. Uh, thanks for listening, and thanks for subscribing to Free City Radio. Um, we come out every Tuesday, and uh, it's an effort of love, so please uh, share the word about our podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, today on the show, we are going to be hearing from Kanahus Manuel. Um, Kanahus is an indigenous um, land rights activist, um, a healer, a community builder, um, has been involved in indigenous struggles for many years, was one of the founding forces of the Native Youth Movement, um, and led many campaigns uh, for land rights of Indigenous people. Uh, recently, well, actually in the last few years, Kanahus has led a project called Tiny House Warriors. Um, and so basically, these are um, efforts to assert sovereignty over land that is claimed by the Crown, as it's called in Canada, uh, illustrating the colonial nature of land designations. Um, so Kanahus has been um, protesting and holding down um, this project with others, Tiny House Warriors, um, to try to stop the uh, Trans Mountain uh, Pipeline expansion. Um, this is basically a project that's trying to um, bring uh, materials from the Tar Sands region in Alberta uh, into um, uh, territories on the coast. Um, I think it should be noted that this uh, pipeline project was actually purchased by uh, public funds in Canada. The Canadian government um, under uh, Justin Trudeau as the Liberal Prime Minister actually purchased the construction process of this pipeline. Um, most economists have illustrated that it will make no money. But most importantly, in terms of our discussion today and more generally, this pipeline is being built without the collective support of the Indigenous people whose lands are being impacted by uh, the pipeline. So I spoke with Kanahus about Tiny House Warriors, about um, the uh, opposition to the Trans Mountain Pipeline, uh, and generally just how she's doing, what's going on, um, and uh, here's our conversation on Free City Radio. So thanks for taking the time to be here, um, Kanahus. I guess first to start, um, when we are thinking about the pandemic and its impacts, there, there is some mainstream discussion around the uh, ways that the pandemic has disproportionately impacted um, Indigenous people, um, communities, also um, other communities that have experienced systemic marginalization. But one point of focus that I haven't really seen in the mainstream media is thinking about how the pandemic is related to systems uh, and specifically, you know, sort of an ana analysis about health and the detrimental impacts uh, on health of colonial capitalism. Now, I know this is so uh, fo uh, such a focus of your work. Uh, so in thinking about where we're at, it's May 2021, what are some reflections that, that you have uh, to think critically about of how we got here? Oh, well, first of all, thank you for 
for having me here and, and given some of my insight and thoughts on to the subject. Um, I would first like to say that ever since the COVID-19 pandemic, I've been here um, at the Tiny House Warriors on the front line. Um, I haven't been anywhere else. Um, actually, around three, three years ago, I committed to being frontline fighting this pipeline. And so I've been here and I've been seeing everything from a frontline view, um, being here with um, fighting against a major industry, a tar sands pipeline that's threatening to come through our territory where COVID-19 has never even impacted that, hasn't slowed it down whatsoever. We've seen industry even increase during the COVID-19 pandemic with heavy machinery on the, on the highways, uh, pipelines on the highways, mega loads on the freeways and highways, um, more so than, than when there was no pandemic. Um, so they had free reign and the government and the crown, the colonials, will deem what they, what they say is essential work. And so we'll see essential work like that continuing um, industry, mining, uh, BC Hydro, Site C Dam. A lot of these big, huge mega projects like the tar sands pipelines and the Site C have been condemned by UN, you know, human rights bodies that yeah. said, no, you must halt construction of these mega projects due to human rights violations, indigenous rights violations. Um, for us, me and my family, um, we've always been about health. We've been, we've been about going back to the land, defending the land, because by defending the land, we're developing, we're defending our own pharmacy. You know, that's our own pharmacy is out there in the mountains is, is our, you know, our barks and our roots and our mushrooms and our lichens and our, you know, plant medicines, all of those mm -hmm. are our pharmacy and what we've been defending this whole time when we're defending our mountains, they say our mountains are our most powerful medicine people. Our trees in the mountains are the most powerful medicine men. And that's the mindset that we have this whole time this pandemic has happened mm -hmm. um, is to just continue to promote a healthy wellness eating. And also for our people with just the mental health you know, the mental health of just being isolated, especially we're already isolated in a lot of these isolated remote um, Indian reservations and reserve communities. Mm -hmm. And then we're even further isolated, but they were still allowing industry through these reservation roads during the height of COVID-19 when we were restricted to even leave. Yeah, Industry was still allowed to come into these remote indigenous communities. And that's that's where I start hearing word from all of our relatives from Northern Manitoba, Northern Alberta that are contacting me saying, hey, what do we do? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, some of the remote communities is where the church still runs and has still a lot of control on the people, mm -hmm. you know, where the church is going in still to this day in these remote indigenous communities and forcing vaccinations on our people. You know, so, you know, I could talk about a lot of sure. a lot of things, but um, I just... I like there's so much people in our communities right now that are are so undecided about the vaccines because mm -hmm. they don't trust it. You know, mm -hmm. I was just traveling in Chicago, Minneapolis with the black community. They definitely don't trust the vaccines either. Mm -hmm. You know, and how how are we supposed to trust this? You know, and then there's people, our own people in the healthcare field that are promoting vaccines, you know, sure. so it's just. You know, I want people to feel safe, whatever decision that they're making, because 
you know, the enemy is going to continue to, you know, kill us no matter what industry or just forcing foods down our, our throat. Like one of the things during the COVID-19 pandemic is that everyone continued to eat processed foods. They kept the stores open, yeah. you know, continue to eat unhealthy foods. And mm-hmm. we all know that that's one of the biggest killers. One of the biggest killers of our immune system and our health mm-hmm. is just the foods that, that we eat in our diet. Well, that points to your relationship to the land that Tiny House Warriors has been fighting for. And I mean, of course, it's not only the Tiny House Warriors project, but it's projects over many years that, you know, you illustrated that commitment to connecting to the land on on the basis of sovereignty, but also related to to health. I think that maybe people... um, haven't really understood um, because it hasn't been in the headlines like before the pandemic, the, the fact that the Trans Mountain um, uh, pipeline and also the, um, yeah, the Trans Mountain pipeline and of course the coastal gas link pipeline, which is north of you, but have continued construction. So uh, if, if you could maybe just just address that a bit because it, it's dropped off the headlines, you know, uh, last spring, um, so what has that meant for for Tiny House Warriors and, and your territory? Well, right now, and during the height of COVID-19, I, I think that I want to talk about that because specifically where we're located right now, where we took taken back land, we're occupying an area that the, the Crown will consider so-called Crown land. It's Sukhumuk, unceded Sukhumuk territory. But we've been here for three years and we're stopping a man camp. This man camp was to house a thousand men. And and for whatever reason, for our occupation here and our direct action here, plus COVID-19, this man camp has not been built. They wanted this to be in fully operation by now, a thousand men working just right here. And that was for where I am. TMX pipeline? Yeah, this is the TMX pipeline. So, So since then they're still brought in just as much men. There's just as much pipeline workers right now. I know Coastal GasLink is dealing with issues around the, the workers continuing to you know, come in during COVID-19. They actually have man camps there that they have been able to build the, the Coastal GasLink. And there's actual man camps in existence here, both north and south of me, where I'm at right now. And so those were already proposed and planned and they, they have them not into full capacity that they said they would, but the government actually offered other option for these man camp workers because they don't have this man camp facility here. So they were off asking other BC residents to offer their homes or places for these men to come in and stay. And there was a form online for people to fill out if their homes were available for these man camp workers. And we have a big campaign that's, really uh, exposing the truth around the man camps and how it just increases the sexual violence against Indigenous women, um, or all women and girls, but we know that Indigenous women and girls, we are the most targeted. And we've been fighting man camps this whole time. So we saw an increase of these men come in. We know that there is the man camps both north and south of us that had COVID outbreaks and yeah. coastal gas link. They had COVID outbreaks as mm-hmm. well. And we're from little communities. We don't even have the capacity to deal with our own outbreaks if they were to happen, let alone a, th- a thousand or 2000 men that are coming into our communities from elsewhere. A lot of these men are 
transient men, you mm-hmm. know, workers, they're coming in, they don't have no accountability to our communities. And we're already seeing it. We're already seeing the violence against our women. Our women aren't feeling safe. If you go on Yellowhead Highway right now, um, from Kamloops all the way to the Highway 16 junction to Edmonton, you're going to see nonstop workers, pipeline workers, trucks, construction men. They say with every five truck increase into your area, you're going to have a a rape. So they're having numbers now that are saying, okay, five new industry trucks in your area are going to, or you're going to have threats of a rape, which is like, you know, you fit five men into one vehicle or four men, that's like 20 men. So out of every 20 men, there's going to be one rape of a woman. Like, no, that's not safe. That's not safe to have in our, even in humanity you know, now in 2021. And this is the threats that we're facing. You know, yesterday was a day to actually bring attention to the murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls and Two-Spirit and trans here in Canada and the US and the world It was yesterday. And everybody woke up to Instagram deleting every single post that they made about murdered and missing Indigenous women, Two-Spirit trans, like, why? We can't even expose the truth about what's happening to us as as Indigenous people here. And, you know, we as the healers of our nation, the medicine people, and, you know, we're the ones that people depend on. Mm -hmm. People look at us for a resource, like, what are we going to do? What happens if I do get COVID-19? Or even when people did, people are contacting us firsthand. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not just frontline land defenders, mm-hmm. we're frontline healers, we're frontline in knowing about the medicines, or yeah. even where to go harvest the medicines, mm-hmm. because we're actually out there on a territory. Um, Canadian Association of, of Physicians for the Environment, they did a, a text about the ways that um, uh, the pipeline workers in Wet'suwet'en territory had had brought uh, COVID to the community. Um, and um, yeah, I was reading um, some some texts from that organization and, and other physician groups that were trying to sound alarm. And I know that also uh, uh, an open letter was written by um, Wet'suwet'en matriarchs to sound the alarm on a lot of the issues that you're raising. Uh, and it was sent to the chief health minister in BC, I believe that's the title uh, in, in British Columbia, Bonnie Henry, about mm. about these issues. And I understand there was no response. Um, what, yeah, could you comment on that? And and I, I, I guess it's not surprising, but um, I'm, I'm mentioning this just because that particular figure in British Columbia was so uh, sort of celebrated in the liberal media, but there was silence on this issue. Yeah, I don't have no faith in the BC health system or this Bonnie Henry that, you know, been giving the reports about the COVID-19. They didn't make no response to the the Wet'suwet'en matriarchs, you know, the land defenders, the ones that are standing up for the women and for the land. And it was very clear. It made, you know, a lot of news headlines here in BC, but there was no response. And, Mm -hmm. And they know. You know, the women of the nation know the best in the, in the health for our nation. And, and we're talking about little small remote communities. We're talking about these reserves that don't have any type of, you know, health centers in them or any type of, you know, medical, you know, help 
And so they, a lot of the people have to go elsewhere, fly to other communities. Like I even know as a birth worker, when there's people have, giving birth out there, they have to go to Smithers. They have to go to other places where there's a hospital or there's midwives willing to deliver a baby. Same thing when there's any type of any um, health mm-hmm. issues, major mm-hmm. health issues, they have to go elsewhere. And so mm-hmm. that's the big thing. And our housing issue, the housing issue in our native communities, you know, we're overcrowded. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, 45% of our community actually has to leave the reservation just because of housing, the housing mm-hmm. crisis in our res- reserve. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're overcrowded. And I think that's the issue that we're, we we saw in like Navajo country and different other countries, other native territories where they saw a big uh, influx or the big huge impacts that this COVID took a lot of lives in those reserves. And, it, and they attributed a lot of that to overcrowding and just, mm-hmm. you know, communities that still don't have running water. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of our native communities that still have on boil water advisories where, yeah. you know, we're, we're trying to have the sanitation, but we don't even have like running water. Well, here we know we don't have running water, but we have the best running water, which is the creek <laughs> and the river running straight from right the on. Yeah. It's like the cleanest water we can get and mm-hmm. to stay clean and, you know, hygiene and and everything. And we know that as native people, we're the we're some of the most cleanest people out there we taught people how to bathe you know we taught people how to sweat lodge we taught people how to Mm. steam and medicine baths and Mm. everything all those still those things we still do today Mm -hmm. and that's what a lot of the things that kept us alive through the pandemics you know all the ones that came before this our elders still have that knowledge that said oh no this is how we stayed healthy this is how we sweat this is how we you know did everything this is how we what we cleaned our our everything we touched with was like a we boiled tea that was very antiseptic and we cleaned it we breathed it in our house every day we had a boiling and so it was just that every day a part of who we are and our lives was all preventative mm-hmm. our medicines were preventative it was built in our dna that made us so strong and healthy and i think that's the wake-up call that COVID 19 you know, has given to us again as Indigenous people is to get on your herbs, get on your teas, you know, Mm -hmm. your medicine baths, your sweat lodge, your everything that we've learned to be strong Mm -hmm. is what it's waking us up to to do again. And, And, you know, there's so much herbs and teas that we drink on a daily basis that actually help us build our immune system. You know, we need to stay on this. On the issue of the medical systems and colonialism um, in Montreal, uh, just I, I was thinking about that in relation to what you were mentioning about lack of access to hospitals. Uh, you know, one of the issues that Resilience Montreal and the Native Women's uh, Shelters has been dealing with in the pandemic is so many people coming from the north. I mean, this is pre, pre-pandemic, you know, of course, but coming to the city for um, medical support and really there's no infrastructure within the colonial frameworks for people who've come for operations or various um, you know medical needs real uh, real medical needs and arrive in the city and you know these really quite modest community organizations like Resilience Montreal, Nakuset uh, who, who, who's um, organizing there and many others um, sort of trying to hold up these people throughout the pandemic, you know, and I know in, in Vancouver, I'm not as familiar, but there's a similar dynamic that happens around um, 
Hastings and Maine and, and people coming into the city. So in relation to that, um, I was wondering if you could talk a bit more about the vision of tiny house warriors and back to the land and, 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 and um, you know, I know that, you know, there's sort of other projects that mirror what you're doing, like uh, Frida Houston's um, um, uh, healing center, for example, mm -hmm. uh, if you could talk a bit more about that. Yeah, Tiny House Warriors is not just about land back and it's not just about fighting a pipeline. Um, Tiny House Warriors, because that's more, we're, we're more than just Tiny House Warriors. We're Suquamook mothers and we're land defenders and we have a lot of dreams. And one of the dreams by even just alternative housing and going and start building these tiny houses on wheels was so we could be mobile. So we could be mobile out on our territory because we know we have to be out there to be able to witness what is happening, to mm, be able to mm. continue to connect to the land. Mm -hmm. And like, as the government and the crown says, you, you, you don't use it. If you don't use it, you lose it. You know, we actually have to be there using our land, living on our land, asserting our title to our land. And that's in every which way that's self-determination, that's in our healthcare, that's in our food, that's in our housing, that's in our education system that's in our birth work, that's in, in our language work that we do in our, in our cultural restoration work, that's all connected in this. And so Tiny House Warriors isn't just about stopping a pipeline, we're building the capacity, we're building the education, we're building the, the youth movement that sparked out of Tiny House Warriors as well. Um, like you mentioned, tiny uh, Native Youth Movement. Yeah. That's how we started really organizing. And it was all about decolonization at that time. Mm -hmm. It was all about how do we decolonize, leave the cities, go back to the land and mm -hmm. revive and restore what we had and who we are. And I've been continuing to do that work since um, Native Youth Movement. And even to this day, mm -hmm. you know, we do need alternative medical um, healthcare and hospitals institutions or whatever you want you call it for our people because first of all I don't think our people are being treated fairly in the hospitals in this medical system yeah. um, I don't think I think we need more ad advocating in the hospital system so we can get the best more fair treatment mm -hmm. in the hospital whether it's birth or COVID-19 or anything we need advocacy in that system because yeah. we aren't being treated treated fairly. I know as a birth worker, because I go and attend births in, in hospitals sometimes, and I see how it's so um, unfair, how why Indigenous women have the highest C-section rates in the hospitals in Canada is because I see how they're treated in, in, in these hospital systems. So yeah, we do need our own hospital and healthcare. And you know, mm -hmm. we look at places like um, Unistoten and Frida Houston and their whole vision and dream to build up this this healthcare or this health healing center that actually is a reality now. There's actually yeah. people there that are healing and getting, you know, um, I would say the best healing and that you can because you can't really do it in those other type of institutions where it's like even like these walls, you know, our our institutions are out on the land where we're gonna able to connect to it and and you know like our our mental health um the mental health of our people, like, mm -hmm. you know, better than sending people to psychiatric treatment is to actually go onto the land to spend two hours out on the territory or mm -hmm. in the trees or in the wetlands mm -hmm. or 
in the desert or wherever you are mm -hmm. and just two hours just to connect to the nature, to the sounds, to the breathing in the air and just two hours for yourself to clear your mind for that meditation. Those are the type of healing programs mm -hmm. that are really going to help our people, mm -hmm. um, especially people in the urban setting where we don't get to take that two hours for ourselves ever to go out and, and do that. And that is going to reflect back on our own physical health you know, our yeah. emotional health, our spiritual health, our physical health, and start thinking again, you know, holistically, like we all know the medicine wheel, and we could all sort of see like, okay, our physical, our mental, our emotional, our spiritual, and how could that be more balanced in our life. And even just that reflecting on that is going to help us, I feel, you know, just do I need to put more effort into my spiritual you know for me I put so much into a mental 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 <laughs> mental till I just freaking you know till I know it's just layers upon layers and it's just too much no you need to put it into your spiritual you need to put it into your emotional and stuff so those are some of the big things that I've really trying to push to during the COVID-19 in my own self in my own healing I because I feel like we're constantly healing and learning and we're not going to stop we have to continue our brain is like the universe we can continue to grow yeah it doesn't just yeah. stop and we're not losing brain cells we can continue to grow with our with our just building just continuing to build our own selves mm -hmm. you know and by doing that we're going to be able to help others and to help the world and help the planet respect thanks for that um i was like often when we're when we're thinking about like um, let's say for example, um, it's just like a mindset, right? You know, CBC for example has become so um, they've made so many sort of um, symbolic gestures towards you know using terminology like indigenous sovereignty or like this whole trend around. Um, land recognition, you know, from these, like, even corporations are doing this now. Um, but it, it always seems to be from this sort of vantage point of, like, this, like, inherent inability to critique the fundamental colonial foundation of these institutions, you know, and, and just sort of thinking, oh, well, these sort of adjustments can be made, and then will continue on in the same way, you know, um, you know, and, and you were mentioning the medical um, uh, sort of the, the, the challenging violent relationship historically between indigenous people and the medical system. And it's not just like historically, you know, I was thinking, you know, here in Quebec, Joyce Ashaquan, right? Like there's so many current examples um, of how these institutions carry that violence into today. But yeah, just in terms of your thoughts about thinking or about like encouraging people to, to think at that base level about like, okay, well, if, if University X and University Y are doing these land acknowledgements and, you know, CBC is talking about Indigenous sovereignty, okay, where are we at? Like, how, how, what do you think what's your response to sort of trying to think a bit more critically about these trends we're seeing yeah i think that cbc will always water down the issue mm -hmm. and and it because it represents canada broadcasting in a whole like the whole crown <laughs> so of course they're going to water it down like i've been i've been on many i'm just using cbc because it's you said cbc but yeah, sure. we 
we've had had to face off many times with with CBC because it gives it's sort of like what I say and I might be going off topic a little bit but but when media ends up saying and giving the platform to say an INAC chief this INAC chief was invented by the federal government gets paid by the federal government Indian Act was invented enforced and forced on our people as this isn't really our leader. He's forced by the government, paid by the feds, funded by the feds 100%. So who is he really speaking for? Mm -hmm. To Native people, he's speaking for the feds. But then CBC will take him and say, this is a First Nation leader of the nation. You know, he's, later, mm -hmm. he's you know, pipe, or a pipeline, Perry, Perry Bellegarde, you know, mm -hmm. AFN. And, and then he'll put him there. But again... This was invented by the feds, paid by the feds. You guys have to be aware of that. So that's the thing about CBC is they'll put these up like the real true leaders and it, it diminishes the true leadership on the ground. The ones that have really mm -hmm. never been paid by the feds. They don't represent the feds. They're pure indigenous 100%. And they've been doing the work and generations inherited generations and generations of fighting for Indigenous land rights. But then CBC will put this person up like this and then put our true people here, you know, where we're like, hey, give us some media attention at the same level. And so that's where we have to end up speaking for ourselves and, and everything. And one of the things my mm -hmm. late father, Arthur Manuel, he, he said, he says, hey, if, they, if the Canada was to give the land back tomorrow, mm -hmm. would you be able to manage the land? Would you be able to look after the people, feed the people, house the people? Mm. You know, no. So we, that's where he, he put his children. He said, hey, you mm. need to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be able to call people to, to like what his father told him when he was organizing a walkout at the Indian Residential School. Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, you're, you're going to tell these people to wake, walk out for poor food? Mm -hmm. Well, when they walk out, are you gonna, where are you going to house them? Are you going to be able to feed them? When, when, when you convince everyone to walk out of the school, you know, so that's sort of where I feel is like, if we're going to lead the people, how are we going to do it? And that's why we have to develop self-determination plans regarding oh. our food. Wow. You know, Adams Lake and Nisqalith Indian Band have 1400 acres of grade A agriculture land in all of North America, you know, our reserves. <laughs> Wow. 1400 acres those are the plans that we want wow. to do like wow. how are we going to start to to build our people even if myself dedicate to building one house one underground pit house or one cabin or one house a year and if i say i'm going to live for maybe 40 more years just say or something that's going to i'm going to be able to leave my children my people with 40 houses on the territory mm -hmm. those are the type of uh, real work that we want to be, see done and you know, it's going to take more than just uh, land acknowledgements and, and saying, oh, I, I agree with reconciliation or I, I support Indigenous land, you know, sovereignty. It's going to take more than that. It's going to take people that have real large tracts of land to start willing it back to the Native people and showing people how it's done. It's going to take people that have that inherited wealth from mm -hmm. extraction of resource of Indigenous territories and start giving it back to the Indigenous people. People that are really care, people like myself, people like my, the people that are doing work for murdered and missing Indigenous women are doing the work for the language and culture um, camps and things like that, that will put that 
land and those funds back into mm -hmm. um, revival, cultural revival, mm -hmm. language, things that we really, really need at this time. And, you know, you know, one of the things that we really need is, you know, investment into business even, you mm -hmm. know, into sovereign business that doesn't, you know, abide by, you know, getting licenses and things like that. Like there's sovereign cannabis businesses, there's sovereign businesses that are all over Canada that aren't abiding by Canadians, you know, regulations around licenses and stuff yep. are actually conducting business as sovereign business and those need support. We need to amplify that because that's the type of things that we need to show people. Mm -hmm. We really need to create a whole paradigm shift in the way we think of economy. You know, really, mm -hmm. the way that we think about economy has to change in order for our healthcare to change, in order for our education system to yeah. change. Yeah. Everything has to, our way that we think of that, the value of what we're putting in value, monetary value, gold, mining. No, you know, with it start to reshift what we think of is a value for the humanity. Mm -hmm. Because right now we're going to destroy her. We're going to destroy our planet right now if we don't really come together in some really strategic think tanks amongst academics, teachers, you know, students, all different sectors of society to say, how are we going to change? Because mm -hmm. tar sands and global warming and climate change is going to kill us. The scientists are, have already told us, you know, so yeah. we have to, and the medicine people and the seers, and, you know, they've already said it too. So with the prophecies, so we know what's going to happen if we don't really come together and we can't be that stupid. Come on, planet of people we can't be that stupid you know we got to come together and it is going to come together with real strategic think tanks i feel of you know like-minded people and all these sectors of society of brilliance because they are we have a lot of brilliant minds in our planet and come together on how we're going to you know create paradigm shifts over our economy how are we going to you know over food Mm -hmm. You know, like that, even even just changing the food alone is going to change the mind. Mm -hmm. We're going to start to think better by eating sure. better. And so, yeah, everything is connected and mm -hmm. Tiny House Warriors is here. I don't think we're going to stop. We're going to keep mm -hmm. on building even after our 10 tiny houses that we committed to stop this pipeline with. Um, we're going to continue to build no matter if they're tiny houses on wheels or just out on the territory. It's wow. our biggest fight right now is just to get there and occupy our lands so i guess just maybe we could end end on that thank you kind of who's wh where are you right now if you could describe <laughs> just just the the house that you're in and the the land yeah. right now i'm in the biggest of our tiny houses on wheels that we built and we call this one the elk house because it has a big elk painted on it but really it's the story of the porcupine um, that we're painting on this this whole outside of this here you'll see we have the warrior flag because we're, we're warriors here on the front line. We have cedar walls. We, we, we built this, we put it's all cedar walls. So it smells really nice in here from a local mill. We, we put it up and yeah, it's on wheels so we can move it wherever we want along the line or to a beautiful spot that needs protecting. Wow. And I'm surrounded by mountains and glaciers. And this is the land of the spilling waters. So we have glaciers and mountains and, um, that spill into all the rivers, into the Fraser River, the headwaters of the Fraser River is around our, or maybe around two hours north of me right now. And it's being threatened. Old growth logging is being cut right now for the path, path um, of the pipeline. 
And wow. so we're, we're trying to get out there and we actually um, put a call out for people who actually have the confidence to help, help me learn how to drive this big truck we got to haul these tiny houses. Um, but I'm going to be out there soon and right on. we're going to get these um, out on the line and confronting industry and confronting Canada and really demanding the halt of this pipeline. This pipeline will never be built. Anna Hoos, thank you so much. Hey, thank you. Thanks. We'll talk soon. Yeah. That was a conversation with Kanahus Manuel, uh, who is a longtime Indigenous activist, community builder, uh, has been one of the leaders in Tiny House Warriors Project that has been um, holding down resistance and opposition to uh, a pipeline, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, that the Canadian government is trying to push onto Indigenous lands. Uh, I'd really encourage people to follow uh, Tiny House Warriors. Thank you so much to Kanahus for being on Free City Radio. This has been the 41st edition of Free City Radio podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph. Uh, we share a new episode with you every Tuesday. Thank you for tuning in. Um, please tell a friend about the podcast. This is a labor of love. Uh, I do this at my place in Montreal. And it's really a pleasure to share uh, the podcast with you. And I hope that you uh, enjoy it. Um, and if you do, please uh, tell a friend. Uh, you can email me at any time at stefan.christoff at gmail.com or my uh, Twitter is spirodon, S-P-I-R-O-D-O-N. Thank you so much for listening. And um, I'll go out with a piece of music that a friend of mine, Jared Martineau, uh, who hosts uh, Reclaimed on CBC, uh, featured recently. Uh, it is also accompanied by a beautiful film made by Indigenous artist Willie Dunn and others. It's called The Ballad of Crowfoot. Um, all right, take it easy. I'll talk to you next Tuesday. Comes the spring and its warm thaw around your neck the eagle claw upon your head the buffalo horn today a great new chief is born to raise him fast towards the sun a heart now beats a life's begun 1821 Today a blackfoot soul is born Crowfoot, Crowfoot Why the tears You've been a brave man For many years Why the sadness Why the sorrow Maybe there'll be a better tomorrow The years have gone The years have passed Your heart is set Your soul is cast You stand before the council fire You have the mind 
and the desire of notions wise you speak so well and embrace these you do excel and it's 1853 and you stand the chief of confederacy you are the leader you are the chief you stand against both the liar and thief they trade race whiskey steal your land and they're coming in swift like the wind blown sand they shoot the buffalo kill the game and send their preachers into shame and it's 1864 and you think of peace and you think of war Settler in more numbers, he takes whatever he encounters. You've seen the Sioux, all battered, beaten. They're all in rags, they haven't eaten. The nest per se were much the same. It seems like such a heartless game, and it's 1800. 76 and the enemies full of those death-dealing tricks today the treaty stands on the table will you sign it are you able it offers food and protection to do you really think they'll hold it true it offers a reserve now isn't that grand and in return you see all of your land and it's 1877 and you know the scales are so uneven crowfoot crowfoot why the tears you've been a brave man for many years why the sadness why the sorrow Maybe there'll be a better tomorrow Well, the buffalo are slaughtered There's nothing to eat The government's late again With the meat and your people are riddled With the white man's disease and in the Summer you're sick and in the winter you freeze and sometimes you wonder why you sign that day but they broke the treaties themselves anyway and it's 1889 and your death star explodes and then it falls Why the tears, you've been a brave man for many years. Why the sadness, why the sorrow, maybe there'll be a better tomorrow. The years have gone, the years have flown. 
generation since has swiftly grown, but yet for the native, it's all the same. There's still the hardship, there's still the pain, there's still the hardship, there's still the strife. It's bitterness shines like a wetted knife. There's still the hypocrisy and the hate was that in the treaties is that the faith were all unhappy pawns in the government's game, and it's always the native who. Gets the blame. It's a problem which money can never lessen. And it's 1971. Row for row for. Why the tears? You've been a brave man for many years. Why the sadness? Why the sorrow? Maybe there'll be a better tomorrow. Maybe one day you'll find honesty instead of the usual treachery. Perhaps one day the truth may prevail and the warmth of love, which it doesn't take. Why the tears? You've been a brave man for many years. Why the sadness? Why the sorrow? Maybe there'll be a better tomorrow.